Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Our text today is going to be Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. If you want to find that. It's only taken us two months to get to Revelation chapter 3. And if you're using your Bible app, make sure you have the page sounds turned on. I want to hear those Bibles opening. Let me read Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it. And repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name and out from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our sermon today is titled, Living Faith in a Dead Church. Let me pray for us. We, we praise you, Jesus, because you are alive. You left the grave behind. It is our hope. It is why we believe and care that you would dress us in white and write our name on a list. We want to be on that list, those of those who experience resurrection from the grave just like you did. We come to you, Lord, in, this, in a, if we're being honest, a difficult text about a church who needs to be more alive. May we read this and be convicted by your spirit what it means to honestly diagnose where we are individually and as a church because we can't go where you want us to go if we, if, if we can't honestly say where we are. Please help us to do that this morning to the glory of Jesus. May all we do be to the glory of Jesus, Lord. Help me. Preach this sermon. Preach a better sermon than me as well this morning, Lord. Amen. Just a warning to you, church. This church that we're going to look at, Sardis. Every time I see that word, I want to say sardine. So if that slips out, you can laugh. That's fine. I'm going to try not to pronounce it sardine. It is sardis. 
And so we're making our way along this, this route, right, these letters to the churches. And this church is 30 miles southeast of uh, Thyatira. It's the oldest city in the province, uh, province I'm sorry, and is extremely wealthy, extremely wealthy area. It was surrounded by an acropolis. It's famous for its acropolis. What is an acropolis? Well, it's basically a citadel with a wall all the way around it. Um, some of it is left. Back in the day, that was actually awesome. I know you're thinking, that's like four feet tall. No, back in the day, people saw this and they called it the strongest and safest place in the world. Nobody can climb higher than four feet, right? <laughs> and in addition to the Acropolis, they also had a famous necropolis, which is just like it sounds, necros, dead. They have this cemetery. It was called the Cemetery of a Thousand Hills. Probably wasn't a thousand hills. But it was so large, and the graves were so large, you could see it. It was said from seven miles away, you could see this cemetery. It was an insane cemetery. So if you can imagine if you were attacking, and it was famous for its wars throughout history, but you would come to it and see this wall, and then surrounded also by graves. Very intimidating but this is also key to this letter to understand that this takes place in this huge cemetery. It all ties in. Just as it ties in the fact that Sardis has a very large Jewish community. Archaeologists have discovered what is known as the largest ancient synagogue. This synagogue, again, it doesn't sound large by our standards, but it could hold a thousand people. This will tie into this passage. And so how does Jesus greet this church? What is the characteristic of Jesus that he uses to present himself to this church? The authority he uses as the one who is alive and resurrected. It says in verse 1, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So these words of Jesus are based on the fact he has these seven stars. And if you remember from chapter one, I'm sorry, the seven spirits, the seven spirits, what do they represent? The Holy Spirit. Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Everything he's saying, the words he's using are based on the knowledge, the intellect, the wisdom, the all-knowingness, the power of the Holy Spirit. That is how Jesus is diagnosing the spiritual health of his church. The Spirit knows what is happening in this church. And so the question then is, what is the diagnosis of Sardis? It is not good. It is a not good diagnosis. At the end of verse 1, we read, I know your works. You have that reputation of being alive. But you are dead. And so what we find in this letter is essentially an autopsy. This church is dead. What we find in this diagnosis is it's a spiritual diagnosis that does not agree with what people see. We wouldn't see this church as being dead. If we visited there, none of us would look at all their programs and all they had going on and come to the conclusion that this church is dead. We would be fooled by what we see. The Spirit is not fooled. Jesus is not fooled. 
Jesus has the Spirit. He already said that. Why does he say that? Because Sardis does not have the Spirit. Jesus is alive, as alive as could possibly be. Sardis is dead. Part of the problem of this church is it is fooling itself, thinking that it's alive. It has no idea, week to week, showing up and going through the same motions every week, that it is not alive. It is what we would call the walking dead. Zombies. Nobody else sees it, but Jesus sees it. He's looking at it spiritually, by the Holy Spirit, in fact. Now, part of their problem is, I mean, they're existing just fine. By every other church we've looked at, by the standard of every other church, Sardis, like nobody's talking about Jezebel, the Nicolaitans, uh, sexual sin, food offered to idols, none of that is being mentioned. So what's the problem? Why is it dead? Why is this church dead if it's not doing anything wrong? It sounds like the church that's doing the least wrong. They're not being called out on anything except being dead. What is the problem? Their problem is they are not doing anything. If something is alive, it is active, it is doing something. This church isn't doing anything. They're not even sinning. They're not doing anything. And so the situation here in Sardis is so interesting. How did they get to this point? Well, they exist between two major forces. They exist between Rome, the imperial cult worshipers, and they exist between a large, possibly the largest Jewish community. And yet somehow in the middle of this, they're able to balance it out. They are friendly with both sides here. And that sounds like a win. Good for them. They can balance that. No. The reason they are able to achieve this is because they have compromised their faith and witness. We see this in verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. That sounds gross. Right? I mean, let's just... What? I mean, yes, it's good if you don't soil your garments. But what does that mean? When it says they haven't soiled their garments, it means that they haven't adapted to the culture around them. They aren't influenced by what's happening outside of their walls. Right? They don't look like they follow Jesus. No one knew they were any different from the Jews. Their faith was invisible. Their success was false. They weren't succeeding at anything except existing, which is not a win. Existing is not a church. And so just as the city of Sardis is successful, it's wealthy, it is safe, this church of Sardis is successful and it is safe, but at what cost? Ironically, it's very life. It gave up its life in order to be safe. It doesn't make sense. What wasn't this church doing that it needed to in order to be alive? Sharing the name of Jesus, just like many of the other churches we have looked at. They have failed to confess his name, to identify with him. They have failed to present the gospel 
Like you have these statues of gods. We have a God who, who isn't a statue, who came in flesh, who lived like one of us, died like one of us to save us. They're not talking about that. And you know they're not talking about that because that's exactly the kind of thing that would really infuriate cult worshipers, the imperial cult worshipers, and definitely infuriate the Jews. So if you have a church in the middle of this and no one's being offended, they're not talking about the name of Jesus. So how do we know this was the problem? You probably looked at your Bible and you looked at the screen and thought, it doesn't say that. It doesn't. You're correct. And I think this is a great example then to learn how do we deduct and reason, hypothesize and conclude what Scripture says when it's not clear what Scripture says because I think as we read this passage, it is clear. But we have to do some work. I believe the answer, which is not stated at the start, is clearly implied by the end of the passage in the rewards of Jesus. Right? Every, the end of every one of these letters, it talks about the rewards of Jesus for the faithful one, the one who conquers, endures, the one is, who is successful in following him, even to the death, will get these rewards. Those rewards correlate every time to something that's happening in that church. Why Jesus is better. Why being rewarded with Jesus himself is better than whatever they're doing in that present moment. And so I want to look at three ways the rewards reveal the cause of death. Three ways these rewards of Jesus reveal the cause of death of Sardis. What are the results of this autopsy? Number one, names on lists. Names on lists. Verse five, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. The book of life is the book that we all want to appear in. Right? It is the book of life that gains us access into the never-ending presence of God, unfiltered presence of God, peace, bliss, everything we could have ever have wanted and more that is undescribable. If our names are on that list, this book of life with names on it. And so, if this is the reward that he would acknowledge them in return then the issue has to be they are not acknowledging him, right? That's the issue. Why would he counter with that? It wouldn't make sense to just talk about something completely unrelated to what they are doing. And as we've already seen in this book, if you are preaching the name of Jesus, if you are sharing the gospel, uh, you are in danger. Some are going to die. Some had died already. If you're sharing the name of Jesus, you are in danger. The church of Sardis is not in danger, Again, see how we're figuring this out. They're not in danger. If they did proclaim his name, if they did acknowledge him, then the reward is to be on the best list ever. That is their reward. That is the heart of Jesus. Proclaim my name and I will write your name. I will proclaim your name. Now, I believe this also ties in because the church of Sardis one of the reasons that they wouldn't share their faith in Jesus is because that large synagogue, possibly the largest synagogue, has a list of names like every other synagogue. Who belongs to the synagogue? Who is of Jewish descent? They, they know who all your kids are. They know every, who you belong to, your family. 
If your name is on that list, you are protected by Rome. Right, we've talked about that. I won't go into that. You're protected. That list is a safe list to be on. If people identify with Jesus, their family, their name gets removed from that list. It goes on another list, a hit list. They had every reason not to talk about Jesus. They wanted the Jews to think they were Jews. They wanted the Romans to think they were Jews. And yet say, hey, look how successful we are. No, but none of us have been killed. Well, you don't have to kill the dead, right? By not identifying with Jesus, they could remain on the list. They were in hiding. No one knew they were there. They were safe. They were dead. And so what a wonderful promise then from Jesus to entice them. I'll put you in a book on a list that no one can touch. You're on this list, you will never be blotted out. That's the promise of Jesus. Why are you worried about what list you're going to be on? There's only one list that matters, right? Not Santa Claus, kids. The book of life, that, that list that Jesus, you want to be on that list. I heard it explained one way like this. I, I know for me, one of my favorite moments of my life was graduating seminary. And part of the, that made that as, as exciting and as stressful as that was is making sure you're in the right order, right? My name starts with K. It kinda, and so it's like, okay, make sure you're in the right order. And somebody presented it like this. Imagine thinking your name is in the book of life and you're going up like you're graduating, only they don't say your name. How horrible would that be? How embarrassing would that be? And yet that's what Jesus is saying. You guys think you're in the book of life, but you're more worried about this book. You need to be worried about this book. You will be in this book if you acknowledge me. His book is better. And so the second way the rewards reveal the cause of death is confession. Verse 5. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And if this verse sounds really familiar to you, you've probably read the book of Matthew. Chapter 10, verses 31 through 33. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Whenever Scripture references Scripture... You have to really focus on that. Why would Scripture cross-reference itself unless the reference will help you better understand what is taking place in this, in this verse? Why can't this verse just exist? Why is this verse being referenced, being brought here to emphasize what is happening? And again, I think we see this picture being painted now. Jesus is talking about those who acknowledge him and those who don't acknowledge him. Why quote this verse, which Jesus is quoting Jesus here? Jesus is re-emphasizing his own words to them about acknowledging him, confessing him. Jesus says that we need to confess him, acknowledge him, as we do. It is our nature to do that. If you've ever talked to me and I just start talking about hockey players, you can care less about it's because I care about hockey players, right? And 
musicians, and I just talk about them freely because I like them. But we're the same way. We love a musician, a poet, an author, whoever it might be, artist. We talk about them. We acknowledge them. We're excited. We wear shirts. We get tattoos, not me, but people get tattoos of their favorite, whatever it might be. It's in our nature for the thing we love for us to proclaim and to confess. It is perfectly reasonable. But this church isn't doing that. They're not doing it. They're scared that their name is going to be removed from that list. Maybe we're scared of the same thing. What about on social media? Are we scared that if we make some posts or, or, or share a Bible verse that we're going to be unfriended? That we're going to be off their friends list? Are we afraid nobody's going to invite us to Thanksgiving because we're going to talk about Jesus? It's still lists, right? It's still about us confessing and, and what's at stake here. This is as simple, I believe, as just acknowledging Jesus. Confessing his name. If somebody asks you how your day is going, no matter how hard you want to, no matter how hard it is, do not say living the dream. Right? We are not living the dream. Why do we say that when it's a perfect opportunity just to say, I'm having a great day, I know Jesus. I'm having a horrible day, but it's okay because I read my Bible this morning and it, this isn't supposed to be the dream or the goal. It's in the future. Perfect opportunity every day over and over just to acknowledge Jesus. We don't have to take anybody down Romans Road every conversation we have. Just bring up the name of Jesus. Right? The power's in the name. You don't bring up the name, there's no power. Jesus wants us to talk about him. And it says he wants to talk about us to the Father and the angels. And I just wish we were just as excited about talking about Jesus as Jesus appears to be here talking about us to the Father. It should very much be the other way around. And so the third way that the rewards reflect the death of Sardis is the worthy in white. Verses 4 and 5. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And again, yes, practical application, don't soil your garments. But the important part of this application, as I mentioned earlier, is it is talking about being affected by those around us by reflecting our culture more than we reflect Jesus, by nobody even knowing that, that we're a church. Although we don't literally dress in white, that's talking about purity. That is talking about the way we walk because it says, the Lord says, you will walk with me in white. He doesn't care that you're not wearing white this morning or that if you do wear white, you didn't keep it clean. That's why I don't wear white. But that's not the issue. The issue is walk in white, walk in light. How are we walking in our community? Do we look and talk and walk and sound just like everybody else around us? The church in Sardis was apparently undercover in their culture. 
They reflected the culture instead of Jesus. Now, the good news, right? So, so far, bummer, man, like, right? There's some good news here. There are those who did love, follow, and acknowledge Jesus. And just like we've seen in the past couple of weeks, and now we've started to talk about, as Jesus looks at these churches, he sees different levels, church corporate on one level, which he will judge, and he will call us out on the things we're doing wrong, but he sees deeper to the individual. Again, he's judging by the power of the Holy Spirit what is happening, and the Spirit is saying there's two things happening, corporate level thing, but there's also pew to pew. There's different things going on, Jesus. This church of Sardis is dead. It is a big church. It is a wealthy church. We know that. It is dead, even in the middle of its heyday. Yet that doesn't mean the faith of everyone inside this dead church is dead. It is difficult. It is difficult, church, to understand how you can have a church full of faithful people who are faithful to, with, to Jesus, who are worthy to walk with him according to Jesus, and yet the church dies. It doesn't make sense to us because we do not have the sevenfold spirit. We do not have the Holy Spirit to completely understand what is happening, and we don't see things how God is seeing them. We see them just from our level, and it's frustrating because you would say this morning, I know I'm all in. Why is the church dying? I know some other people I've talked to, they're all in. Why is the church dying? And we, it's frustrating. We don't understand why. Yet Jesus says here that he sees you who are alive in a dead church. He's not going to not call it a dead church because it's a dead church. But he doesn't want you to take offense at that. He sees the ones who are still alive. He sees your heart. He sees your actions. He knows you're all in. But you can't take that failure personally. Jesus is saying you are worthy. He sees you as the individual. He sees your heart and he will give you a wardrobe to match. Those of us who are all in, actions, heart, mind, we're going to be dressed in an amazing wardrobe, unstained, pure. What we also find in Sardis is that even in this dead church, there, there are some who are still alive. Those who Jesus said are worthy to walk with him, whose names are going to be written in the book of life and can never be blotted out, whose name is he's going to confess before the Father and the angels. Can you imagine... I couldn't. Can you imagine Jesus confessing your name to God the Father and to the angels? Think about it. It's insane. Right? And yes, that's what happens. Jesus goes to the Father, says, Father, I have something to tell you. I, I, I need to tell you about somebody you don't even know. This church that looks dead, I need to tell you about the people, some of the people who are here. Angels gather around, all you angels in your gazillion eyeballs and wings. 
We scare my people every time they show up. I need to tell you about this church. And he mentions them by name. He mentions you by name. That has to blow your mind how personal this is here. It is corporate, but it is personal. The only question then is, are we worthy of Jesus talking about us? Are we worthy of Jesus talking about us? In Sardis, a lot of them, there was nothing to talk about, not even bad stuff. Nothing. And we can't use the excuse that the church is dying. We can't use the excuse that the church is dead. We are all part of the church. We can't point the finger anywhere else. And so what do we do as people of faith that is very much alive, that is worthy of Jesus, that is worthy of being proclaimed to the angels? What do we do as that person in a church that is dead? Well, we find three instructions here for living in the dead church. Living in the dead church. And the first is wake up. Wake up. What are you doing? Do you not see what I see? Do you not see there's a problem here? Do you not see the issue? Do you think this is church? Wake up. Step one. Stop being so lethargic. Stop living in the past. As it says here, don't, who cares about your reputation? Why are you still talking about the past? You guys are dead today. Wake up. Those are the words of Jesus. Once we're awake, we must, must strengthen what remains. Verse 2 again. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. What this means is that those who are still spiritually alive have to take inventory. Look around. Who's actually all in? What part of this is the church? What is actually happening here? At some point, did we get stuck in a specific moment, part of our reputation that we never moved on from, and Jesus is now telling us, you never moved on from what happened in the past, you are dead. If we don't do that, it says, it all dies. It all dies. What this means, however, is that there's still hope. Right? Do you guys see it? You see the hope, church, in this verse? Jesus is the one who's present with his church, who has the seven stars, who has the sevenfold spirits. Why introduce that as the way you talk to this church? Because the Holy Spirit has the power to bring back from the dead, to bring to life from the dead. On the resume of the Holy Spirit is bringing things that were dead, people that were dead, to life. Raise Christ from the dead. Raise people who were dead in their sins to faith in the risen Christ. 
That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the gospel. That's why Jesus introduces himself like that. I have the power. You guys just don't know. You guys don't even know what you're doing. You guys don't even know that you're not alive. And no one else does either. The question is, where does this church find the strength to fight when it's fought for a long time? Or in this case, where it's in a lull where for a long time it's been doing church and not realizing that it's not. The third imperative after waking up and strengthening what remains is to become gospel-centered, to find strength in the gospel. In verses 2 and 3, For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, past tense, way back when, when they first heard the gospel. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. All of this is about the gospel. All of this is about the name of Jesus. Their works were not complete. What is that talking about? Evangelism. We've seen that, right? At Ephesus, the warning was already there. We've seen it a couple of times. You're not sharing the gospel. You're not a church. This church was busy. We know uh, just historically from archaeology, very busy, cool, hip church. I won't compare it to a church in town, but all across our country and the world, this would be that church. Big, wealthy Busy, successful by most markers of what we consider success. And yet, God says, you guys did not share your faith. Like, what is success to a church that doesn't share its faith? That you have 200 youth in a youth group? Is that success? That none of them knows the gospel? Is that success? No. Like, they can't even reject the gospel because no one's heard it. What's the point of being the church if no one knows why you're meeting They need to remember the reason they're meeting is Jesus. They're meeting to make Jesus known. They need to preach the gospel to themselves over and over to remember why they are there, remember the excitement, remember who they were, know who they are, and what it should look like. It says here to keep the gospel. We talked about last week, what does keeping the gospel mean? It means living it out. Keeping means living it out. If you are living out the gospel, you are sticking out. If you are sticking out, people don't like you. People are annoyed. You get taken off lists. You get on other lists. People will kill you. But some will be saved. People aren't being saved unless you mention the name of Jesus. Abstract spirituality doesn't offend anybody. Your relationship over, over religion doesn't offend anybody. The name of Jesus offends people, and the name of Jesus is what saves people. I believe it was Steve Lawson who said the problems with Christians today, the problem with Christians today is that nobody wants to kill them. Why would you need to kill something that's already dead? The diagnosis of the church of Sardis was death with a chance of life. With a chance of life because even though the diagnosis is death, 
That is not a barrier for Jesus. Jesus and the Holy Spirit working together can resurrect the dead. That's why you introduce this passage with the Holy Spirit and I who are present here, right? You have access to this if you are willing. Jesus and the Holy Spirit can overcome death. Do you believe that? Well, that's the gospel. It was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. The Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8, which is inside of us right now. If you've ever wondered why the Father, when he rejected Jesus in that moment, how did you know, Jesus still survive? How, how was the Trinity not broken in that moment? The reason is the Spirit was there the whole time. It was the Holy Spirit that held on, the Holy Spirit who resurrected Jesus back into that place. That's how you avoid all those crazy heresies about Jesus going to hell for three days. He said it was finished on the cross. He didn't have to go to hell. Completely different subject. James, get back on track. So the question for us is, what would our spiritual diagnosis be? What would our spiritual diagnosis be as individuals? That's part of this text. What would our spiritual diagnosis be? What would the Holy Spirit say about us as a church? Seven-fold Holy Spirit, perfect knowledge, insight into everything. We must be honest. If we are not honest, according to this text, it will cost us everything. Everything is at stake here if we don't name what is happening. We can't be like the church of Sardis who doesn't even know no clue where they are at spiritually. They thought they were alive and they are dead. Like the church of Sardis, we don't want to make the mistake of the church of Sardis, and that is to fear the world. There is no reason for us to compromise our witness or the sharing the name of Jesus and our faith. It is no benefit to us. It is not, we cannot brag, hey, like we live cool with everybody. You know, we accept everybody's welcome. No, this is a holy space. We can't brag that we live at peace with everybody in our community when our message and everything we exist for is completely and utterly against what they are doing, what they are saying. There should be some people who want to kill us. We can't fear that the world would seek to cancel us or erase us. What is the promise of Jesus here? If you are in the book of life, no one can erase you from it. What do you care what society thinks about you? Church, let us be on that short list of people and that short list of churches that will proclaim the name of Jesus in the strength of the gospel of Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, I ask as a under-shepherd of Jesus, Lord, leading other sheep who I am just one of, that we would not deceive ourselves as to what point and how healthy we are as a church. 
I want us to wake up. I want us to strengthen what remains by remembering and keeping the gospel and repenting of anything we've done that has led us astray. That we would repent of living in the past and by past reputations and any single person's reputation, by any decision that was made in the past, by anything that happened that isn't us worshiping you today. If we didn't come here with all 100% of our, our, our spirit, mind, body, and everything ready to worship you, we are not living in this moment like we should be, not giving you the glory you deserve. Help us this morning, speak to us. Help us as we meet in a little bit, Lord, to, to leave the past behind, to leave the grave behind like Jesus did and follow Jesus out of the grave into life. Help us to do this, Lord, by the power of your spirit. We thank you for the gospel, Lord, and for every moment, Lord, that you've given us and for the hope that we have in Jesus, Lord, and, and for us to be able to learn from churches that had to learn the hard way. We don't want to be a learn-from-them church. We want to be a... Uh, that church loves me, church, and they love talking about me, church. We ask these things in your name. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.